0: And welcome back to the Chiluminati Podcast, episode two hundred and twenty-six. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by the Jesse and Alex of LA, Jesse and Alex.
1: Whoa, whoa! We made the list.
2: You made what the list. It, what is it about episode two hundred and twenty-six that 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 put us here? Does there need to be a reason?
0: No.
1: I I mean, I like a reason.
0: I don't got <laughs> I can Make one up. <laughs> I could. Uh, but I don't have one. I'd let, I'd rather your imaginations do the work. Perhaps there's Girl, a subconscious right reason now. that I did all those things. And, uh, who knows why? Will we return to the bit next week? Will we have a new bit? Hmm. We'll see. I
1: wanna know what the bit would be in replace of that.
0: He's playing Alex games. Oh, that's gotta be a surprise.
2: That's what he's doing right now. He's playing Alex games. <laughs>
0: Alex games are the most confusing, but somehow the most satisfying in the end. When you're Alex,
2: the Alex games, let the Alex
1: games begin. The Green Stone and Trooper <laughs> Copper of LA. Yeah, you just <laughs> to get to it.
0: Welcome back, everybody. I'm excited to be here. I'm also excited to say: hey, we have tickets on sale right now for our December 3rd live show over at Terragram Ballroom in LA. You can go get it. The, the link below, it's Ticketmaster link. Uh, last I checked, we were under. We might be under 20 VIP tickets left now. So if you want a VIP ticket, grab it while you can. You know what VIP means? And very important. Paranatural
1: utilitarian. All right. Oh, shit. That is not oh, yeah. what I expected. No. Yeah. Very, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, you know, a Remedyverse thing. Hey, if you know, you know. If
2: you don't, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Hey, listen, Davis is going to be there. Santel's going to be there. There's other guests that are also going to be Wait, there. What do you mean? You're inviting...
1: Ladies I've been doing it. I've, I've been putting the work. This is real. I'm gonna need someone to help me. This gonna, is real. This is gonna be. Oh my whole god.
2: Yeah. This, <laughs> this is, is real. It's,
1: it's 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 me against the world. It's what it is now. <laughs> it's huh? gonna
2: be like a nativity play for for a uh, reason. You know what I mean? The birth right, of reason. right,
1: right. I'll dress up as baby Jesus.
2: <laughs> yeah. And uh,
1: Alex will be one of the mules. Yeah. Mathis uh, will be the star.
2: Sentel will be uh, the MC. Yeah, yeah, the MC that shows up and is like, "Y'all ready for a
1: crucifixion? <laughs> 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 baby, baby, baby,
2: Jesus."
1: <laughs> Davis will be the guy who
2: comes with the. He'll be all three wise men. But speaking of how great our live shows are, first of all, go to that one, and second of all, if you feel like you missed out on the wonderful, fantastic live show that we had in October at the very same venue, the Grand Ballroom, you can get it right now. Five smacaronis. How much did it cost to go? Uh for the tickets are thirty dollars. So this for one a mere sixth the cost. You too can be transported. It's a very special podcast episode. Mathis did us all a favor and edited his slideshow into the episode so you can watch along with it as you listen. You can get your own copy of the slideshow. There's a show poster in there. It's all good. It's five bucks. And get guess what? This is this is marketing. This is why I'm the Alex of LA, okay? Here's <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh-huh. If you're a patron at patreon.com slash chilluminati pod, you don't have to buy this. You already fucking own it. That is why you're the Alex of LA. That's that's synergy. So go over Incredible. there, patreon.com slash chilluminati pod. You can Clean buy it the there. Pod. You can buy it there. You can also be there and be a member and have it there already. It's all there. It's the website, patreon.com slash
0: chilluminati pod. Pizza pizza. <laughs> Uh, Little Caesars pizza is, like, that pizza that is so terrible, but it's sometimes the only kind of pizza you crave.
1: It's that cheesy bread. I haven't had Little Caesars in so long.
2: Old Reliable. Hey, me either. Old Reliable, though. Like, is that true? The cheesy bread, it dude, it, it's, it never, it's, like, so consistent, right? Like, it doesn't matter where you go, what Little Caesars, it's going to be the same, like, C-plus tier pizza anywhere. It's good. You want it. That's what you want. That's what you're. It's 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 exactly what it says on
0: the tin. So you're saying we're like the Little Caesars of Patreon, L.A.
2: Yeah. What? Uh, yeah. In a way. In a way, we're the five dollar hot and ready meal deal. The Little Caesars
0: Patreon. and Panda Express of L.A. <laughs> Boys, I missed you. I hope you're feeling better, uh, Jesse. I know you hurt your back last week, so I hope you're feeling a lot better. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling fine.
1: I had like two days where I was like, probably shouldn't have done that, but I'm fine.
0: <laughs> I uh. I was off in Universal Studios, Orlando, Florida, living a fantasy life and uh, enjoying getting motion sick on the world's worst Simpsons ride. That was my life. And <laughs> you guys, uh, it you guys ruined me out. for two days, essentially. It was terrible. I, we drove down there. Mistake one, first of all. 15-hour drive there, 15-hour drive back. I wanted to die. And then by day two, it's like con brain, except somehow way worse out there with people. Like the amount of people who just stop dead in the center of a walk path with like a thousand people behind them because it's fucking Halloween this weekend. And they're just taking pictures of themselves with like freaking dollar store Wolverine and the weird forgotten, abandoned Marvel section of the Universal Studios like park yeah. made me want to actually become a serial killer.
2: I feel like Jerry Seinfeld and I'm like eating like a big bowl of cereal and you're telling me this and I'm like, that's a shame.
0: <laughs> that's how it like, feels. Man. Like you know
2: how people get jokerized, uh, Mathis is getting Costanzaized.
0: <laughs> that's oh no. Yeah. I, I sort of I've seen a few episodes of Seinfeld. I get oh that. Oh my reference. god. Oh my you god. Know? Yeah. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, it's it's humbling to remember you know that some people don't have the cultural literacy that ninety nine percent of America has. You know what I mean? There's
0: people out there that still want the world to be a mysterious and curious place, Alex. I love that.
2: You know what? That's a great way. Of, that's a great way of putting it.
0: And that's a great segue into today's episode. Are you boys excited for today? Because uh,
2: I don't. How can I? I don't know what
0: this I is. I think I forgot what this is. Yeah, I, sh- I had to shuffle it around a few times because we've been trying to get a couple guests on here. And then, you know, I was not here last week and so on. You guys missed out last week on the uh, freeform jazz. I, that was. <laughs> I saw a Reddit post that simply I didn't, even, I didn't even click on it. It just said this week's episode was like pure chaos And I don't, what happened? I thought you were just reading spooky stories. It just had a flow to
2: it that our show doesn't normally have Mm. because I've known Santel a very long time. I know how fast he goes and we just kind of were like, like back and forth without really breaking for like a full, like almost two hour long podcast. It's pretty, it's pretty like chill. It was pretty chill, but it was
0: very, it was very free form. There was like a gauntlet thrown down that somebody responded to on the subreddit. I don't know what Santel said that people had to like prove him wrong, but I'm very curious what that was.
2: Hopefully, hopefully a lot. <laughs> it was just somebody it was just somebody who said that they have a um PhD and that they could like speak to the uh g- geneticist post on Reddit about Oh, got you, got you. And we were pointing out that this person is also just a person on Reddit who says they have a PhD and that they're like saying this stuff and so he was just he was just being a sport and, you know, gotcha. Yeah, we weren't we weren't really throwing down any sort of gauntlet.
0: Okay, so not yeah. we won't need another Jesse breakdown mini show, mini series no, for Patreon on that one. No. no. Right? Gotcha. It was it was chill. It was cool. Okay. It was like throwing okay. on your dad's uh, jazz albums. You know what I mean? <laughs> it felt good. Jazz albums. Those weren't the favorite of today's topic. David Berkowitz, it's time for True Crime, everybody. Oh, my God. It's time. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> I a want a segue what a segue. I just yeah. took a fucking hammer to the giant wall that was my segue and carved my own path. And here we are. Yeah, it's True Crime episode, everybody. And I'm excited because you guys have gotten the foundation now of what I would consider the must know. That everybody knows, like serial killers, the Dahmers, the Gacy's, etc., etc. Now we're kind of entering what I would consider tier one of you know tier one true crime knowledge yeah 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 where we're gonna learn here about people like son of sam which you may actually have heard the name but may not know much else unlike Dahmer, where everybody kind of knows the story you
2: might not know this mathis Uh but there are there's there's a movie about this is there
0: yeah yeah Uh, what is it called i think it's called summer of sam or something like that okay and i'm assuming it didn't do well it's a it was a it was a fairly popular movie. OK, I did not know. I watched a couple documentaries, but that's a bit different. It was like a Spike Lee movie, I think. Oh, wow. OK. Oh, maybe I need to look into this. All right. Uh. Yeah. David Berkowitz, a.k.a. The Son of Sam, is your typical kind of good old U.S. serial killer that went on a one year killing spree in the 1970s and would be found guilty of eight New York City shootings, claiming six victims, along with 11 wounded, before finally being put behind bars. He was also, however, one of the whiniest, most worthless, pathetic excuses for a human being, even compared to other serial killers. Described often as difficult, spoiled, a bully, and insufferable, whose only friends growing up were those that were weaker and smaller than him so he could lord over them and force them to be his friends, Berkowitz is almost a paint-by-numbers picture of most serial killers forgotten by time and the public. So unsuccessful in the most basic aspects of his day-to-day life, so pathetically consumed with his own mediocrity and a childlike narcissism that dictates uh, uh, dictates to him that it's everyone else's fault, not his, that the only thing that sets him apart is that they, he wanted to go out of his way to prove how pathetic he was by just killing people out of a sense of ineptitude and not belonging. I This man is... You
2: got, you got radicalized when you read whatever book he you He's just, read. you
0: know, he's one of those guys I've known a lot about him for a long time. I've been waiting to talk about him for a long time. Look him up. You can see pictures. He was, he was arrested in the 70s. You can see the man's face and go, yeah, that's, that fits. David Berkowitz.
2: I think, uh, I think Kramer bets David Berkowitz's mailbag when they're betting what? on airplane times,
0: <laughs> wait Seinfeld. what?
2: In Seinfeld, because th- Newman's a, a a mailman, and I yeah, think yeah, he I, has, know, I got that, and I think he has David Berkowitz's mailbag, oh and, he, and he uses it as like collateral in a in a bet, uh, like about airplane times.
0: <laughs> okay, good to know. <laughs> Just uh, I think it's the one with the Frogger machine. I think I don't know. Yeah, no idea what you're talking about. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's so. You know what? It's so crazy that I. You, when you say things, I can visualize exact moments from those episodes. Yeah. Like, when you say Falcon Machine, I know exactly the top. It's like,
2: of the, moon, like, it's, it's like the moon yeah. landing. We, we, we were yeah. all there, but Mathis was playing D&D. It was just not yeah, yeah. yeah I was
0: like, I was not. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> so David Berkowitz was born on June 1st, 1953. Not as David Berkowitz, but as Richard David Falco. Born in Brooklyn, New York, to Elizabeth Betty Broder, and a father whose actual identity is a little bit hard to pin down. There are some sources that say that his father was Tony Falco, an Italian-American that was married to Betty for about four years until he cheated on her with another woman. So not Sam is what you're telling me? Uh, Yeah, no, no. Sam doesn't come from anything family-related, and his name is, he gives himself the nickname Son of Sam, and for the dumbest reasons that we'll learn next episode. But most people seem to agree that his actual father was a man by the name of Joseph Kleinman, who was just a businessman businessman that Betty had also been having an affair with for well over three years. And if true, she also said uh, that's where uh, they also learned rather that David was conceived in the back of a car for a little detail in case you wanted to know, you know? Sure. All my main sources don't really do much digging into that aspect of his life, his biological father and his biological mother, and for good reason. Within days of her having her child, Betty gave him up for adoption. She was a single mother in 1953, working as a waitress in a small town restaurant. She had no support monetarily and no family support either, since the child was out of wedlock and through an affair, which would not have gone down well in the small like Jewish community she was in. But he, uh, what? But he wasn't given up to like an adoption agency. Instead, the, he was uh, the child was directly adopted by what he would know as his parents, Nathan and Pearl Berkowitz. The Berkowitzes were a middle-aged, childless couple who'd wanted a family for a good while. At least Pearl did. And when they adopted him, they changed his name simply just reversing his first and last name. Instead of being Richard David, he was now David Richard with the last name Berkowitz.
2: That is weird. That is extremely weird.
0: Yeah, bizarre to, like, change his name. I mean, like I said, the the mother gave him up within, I think it was day four, the fourth day after. That's
2: like when you're working on a project and, like, a producer comes in and just, like, proposes, like, one huge sweeping change to the show that ruins everything just because they want to, like, make their mark on the fucking show. Switching his fucking names around? That's fucking insane.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a weird example. Why switch him? Why switch him? I don't know. I, I Why really not don't give know. him your
2: own names if you're going to switch them? That's Probably so like weird. like lay
0: claim. I imagine some sort of like, well, he's my child, so I'll decide. At the very least, this is the order of his names. That's my guess. You know, uh, but you know, being adopted, they're like playing god. I don't know. It's weird. It weirds <laughs> me out. Yeah, it's. And when he was adopted by his newfound family, he was raised a totally normal life, right? Yeah. Well, no, not so much. Never goes that way. I hope you have your serial killer bingo cards ready, everybody.
2: Come on, head injury.
0: Ooh, baby. When the father, Nathan Berkowitz, worked six days a week and was rarely home at a family he worked at a family owned hardware store. And when he was home, while he was not physically abusive to David, he would often deride David and often call him and refer to him as a mistake repeatedly over and over in the years of his life while on the other hand, his mother, Pearl, was a stay-at-home mom and maybe ended up doting a little too much on David. Their relationship was described as close and intense, for whatever that means. I don't like that. Mm, yeah, what, is that what does that imply? Uh, it implies an unhealthy amount of mommy-touching, I imagine.
1: Mommy-touching?
0: Okay. Yeah, you like that?
1: I feel like I don't want to go that far. I feel we don't like know. We
0: don't know. I feel like it's, you know, she might have just been an overbearing, overloving, like just, you know, yeah. don't go like wants to approve of your friends before you go out kind of mom. You know, th- we don't know. And honestly, as a lotion mom. So, yeah, 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 a little too much suntan lotion to keep her little boy safe from the burning rays of the scorching hot sun. Um But even beyond the what little and I wouldn't even call that wildly unhealthy home life. The the dad being emotionally abusive is rough. Um, But, you know, we've seen serial killers with much worse lives than this. Uh, But even beyond this kind of unhealthy home life, David didn't get much of a chance to grow as a normal, healthy adult. Unfortunately, this is where you want your bingo cards ready, because early on in his life, David suffered. drum roll please. Head injury. I just, can't.
1: Be, I can't believe. believe. I it's I said so it. easy to just I be like, it. bingo. <laughs>
0: yeah. Wow. At the age of seven years old, while he was outside playing, at some point he had clearly made his way into the road. While an oncoming car was rather close, he
2: made his way into the road. <laughs>
0: yeah, Lol. and got hit by the car, suffering a rather nasty head injury because of it. And like most serial killers we've covered, there was a noted change in his behavior after the head injury. But not much could be noted before David once again had a second terrible head injury. Come on. Yay!
2: David. Come this on. time
0: he was running at full speed, not looking where he was going and collided head first with a brick wall. Woo! Really? <laughs> yes, really.
2: That's, he just sprinted right into a brick wall. That's that's how he got his right
0: into a fucking brick wall. And he cracked his head open in the process of doing it.
2: He wasn't looking and he ran full speed
0: into a brick wall. That is, yep, that is correct. You can, if you say it more often, it doesn't become less cartoonish.
1: That's the lesson here, I suppose. Why did he do that?
0: (laughs) He wasn't paying attention. Maybe he was looking behind him at a kid chasing him or something. How did he find himself in that scenario? Not to outdo himself. David had a third traumatic head injury shortly after. As, of course, it's New this York. This one he
2: just, like, ate a stick of dynamite.
0: <laughs> now this New York, and there's construction, and a pipe that was not secured fell and clonked him on top of the head. Just sheer chance. Yep. Sheer. Just pipe accident. Wow. And if three wasn't enough, Don't there you are fucking... <laughs> also sources that tell me there was a fourth injury when he was four years old. When a kid from the top of a building dropped a rock onto his fucking head. What the fuck?
1: That is comically goofy.
0: Yes, that's straight up out of Looney Tunes. Just like I can see the anvil, his arms and legs getting a, a distance. It's like an Adam's Family
2: character or something. We don't it's even like, need the fourth
0: mm-hmm. head injury. We do know, like for a fact, three happened in multiple sources, cite a fourth, but I can't, I could not confirm like factually, if anybody was there that saw it happen. Um, so it was just, we definitely have three, which is, you know, about two more than most serial killers get potentially with a fourth one there.
2: God damn! <laughs> yeah. He ran right were... into a brick wall. <laughs>
0: yeah, you're stuck on that second injury. <laughs> just imagine fucking
2: it? doing that. Just imagine how fucked up that would be. I'm 35 years old. That would, that would probably wound me for life.
0: He was probably uh, a permanent years old, maybe injury. Seven? Yeah. So, you know, he had that kid's, like, elasticity to him still. They can bounce back from a lot. That's right. That's right. Well, those who knew David on a personal level noted that after all of these incidents, he became exceptionally more withdrawn. And after these series of injuries, honestly, I've, like, who fucking wouldn't be? My head would be a veritable soup by now. I can only imagine. Uh, and school life wasn't going too great for David either. His social skills weren't exactly sharp. And the only people he called friends, like I said earlier, were those he was bullying into being his friend. David noted in one of his interviews that one of the reasons he felt so isolated at school was because while he was a Jewish kid surrounded with a Jewish community, he never felt like he belonged. But would it be because uh, he felt like he wasn't Jewish himself or maybe uh, redirected frustration and trauma from being adopted? We do know that in this point in his life, David was told he was adopted and he knew it at that point. Though his parents lied to him and said that his biological mother died in childbirth, so you know, so he's
2: like he's like holding Caulfielding, but he's like got a head injury, so it's just like who's fucked that? up? Who's that, Alex? Why do you why do you try when you look around at the world,
1: <laughs> Alex? Do you, what do you, you, what are- do
2: you see? <laughs> Uh, it's The Catcher in the Rye. It's the, it's the guy from oh, The okay. Catcher in the Rye.
0: Okay, it's, I only you read did that read it it. You did read yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just been... Hold on, hold on, hold on. You were assigned it? Yes, or you read signed. it? Signed. No, no, I was assigned to read it, so... Okay, I was about to say. Only one <laughs> book I ever read, it was assigned stuck with me, and it was
2: 1984.
1: Okay, well, that's... a right. man knows what he likes. Maybe okay. I
0: should, you know what? Maybe I should go through my old school like assigned reading list and like read them for myself actually read adult. the classics
2: <laughs> yeah, the man. incredible books that were assigned to you
0: as a child that were yeah
2: just Ooh. the timeless
0: ageless classics of literature that were yeah, hand selected was at home waiting for me to figure out the actual way Yo, to i get from it i get dead, it you know i played so, final fantasy 7 as well yeah i did I, I did it all i'm not saying you didn't it's just when i ran out of games i just started playing games i had played before again <laughs> all right So he was informed that it was adopted, however, was told that uh, his mother died at childbirth and uh, obviously none of that's going to come back to haunt them. And he definitely didn't feel an overwhelming sense of guilt that ate at him feeling like he was the reason for why she died, nor did it feed into the intense connection and relationship that he had with his adoptive mother, Pearl, and his mixed feelings and hatred for her as well as love. No, none of those are the reasons. You sure about that? (laughs) You sure about that? You sure about that? (laughs) <laughs> no, according to David, those weren't the reasons that he fell out of place in school. No, the reason was the other kids around him had a respect for their parents, a respect for the rules and the, a respect for common law. But David said he never felt n- never <laughs> felt right with him.
2: I never had a respect for common law.
0: Literally, he's like, yeah. And, and, and as, fact, <laughs> as we watch him grow older and older, we see his petty crimes quickly escalate which would all obviously eventually lead to his 1975 crime spree. And even more interestingly, David was living in the Bronx, and this is like from a more like, this is more interesting from a societal perspective. Uh, David was also kind of living in the Bronx during a time where the culture was slowly shifting from a Jewish, uh, a Jewish neighborhood over to a Hispanic neighborhood, which I imagine also may have fed into David's feeling of isolation and not belonging. For one little community he felt he may have had uh, with the Jewish community that was, you know, slowly disappearing as, you know, more people of of different cultures moved in around him. And while the teachers in school continually saw David as, quote unquote, bright, but a kid who was disinterested in learning and more interested in honestly just being a fucking asshole. By middle school, it seemed like David started to explore what it could mean to be an asshole outside of the school, too. Now, none of that excuses what his actions would be, of course. David was known to have fits of pure rage, even as a young kid, with one incident that was noted that he was so furious with his mother over something so trivial uh, that he went through the house and tore down in angry rage, the curtains from every window. What the fuck? (laughs) That's just, I don't know, That was his revenge. That's like, uh,
2: that's not what somebody in their right mind does.
0: Well, no, no, definitely. You got that correct. How old was he when he did this, though? We're looking 9 or 10 years old. That's after the head injuries.
1: Mm, yeah, I mean, kids, look, there's a reason I'm not keen on raising children. Kids are kind of like <laughs> atrocious monsters. Yeah. And I, from yes. like 8 till about... 23. I don't know, I'm going to say early 20s. <laughs> the, kids do, like, especially young men, do some outrageous stuff. That's true. So I don't want to assign it to like he's a monster. I was a piece of shit. I was there. I lived it. Yeah, but it is, like even me. I got. I have multiple head injuries as a kid. I am not going
0: around killing people. You know what I mean? Poe. There's something Edgar Allan Poe like. Okay. Yeah. I can. I can. I can see that. Well, don't worry. Uh, if that wasn't enough, on another occasion, David got so jealous of the attention that his mom gave her pet bird over him. He took the bird and killed it in a jealous rage. Okay, see, now
2: that's the crazy (laughs) thing. I'm still, like, this is still, like, my Poe reading holds up still. (laughs) It's like a perfect second Poe
0: beat. And if you wondered if this terrible individual had hobbies as a kid, uh, they are equally as cartoonishly evil as you'd expect at this point. One of his favorite hobbies, well, one of the things Plotting. he quickly, de- well, one of the fa- his the things he quickly developed a love for was fire. The man huh. became a pyromaniac, and his one of his favorite things to do was burn bugs for hours at a time with with a micro like a, a, a what do you call it a looking glass thing a you magnifying glass like a magnifying glass and wet cement. He liked to like get them trapped wet in cement? wet like wet sticky cement substances and watch them die slowly. Like that was his favorite. That was one of his favorite things to go do. Uh, man. That's a good time, you know, burning burning bugs. I never burned a bug. Did you guys ever burn a bug, even out of curiosity as a kid? I must have. I don't I, I never burned a bug, but I certainly took army men and blew them up
1: with M80s. For sure. What? I vibe well, with that. Yeah. There was a time period where you could get those little firecrackers that were basically like TNT <laughs> and we would get the little army men and we'd set up a, a battle, but each armor man would have at least one firework attached to him. So if he got hit, he'd explode. And one day, my dad came home and saw there were scorch marks all over the driveway. And he, he literally made me and my two friends that were there do push-ups in the driveway. <laughs> and my friends <laughs> never came over after that.
0: They were like, I'm not going over your house. Your dad's crazy. He's like a, He's got like a bad coach vibe. If we were to look at your childhood as just like isolated, it's pretty similar to a serial killer's childhood the ted trauma the violent hobbies of blowing up little green men
1: yeah oh yeah, oh, yeah no i mean like i i definitely have serial killer vibes that's absolutely true that's what makes it so dangerous ladies so like you know watch out i'm da- don't take me home to mom i'm dangerous <laughs> are you the guy who does netflix's marketing
0: <laughs> that's me so with david moving on to his weird life as a 13 or 14 year old at this point Uh, He was starting off with the classics stuff like petty theft from local stores and his neighbors, neighboring houses. He just robbed the neighbor's homes. And eventually he was quick or should say, not eventually he was very quickly upgrading to small little acts of arson, things that could get keep under control, but were a little dangerously close to where people would live at any given time, which definitely won't bloom into something more dangerous later in life. (laughs) And if he wasn't already on a very suspicious life path at age 14, Good old trauma comes around knocking on the door, and a David's adoptive mother, Pearl, dies from breast cancer when he's 14 years old. In this moment, fractures David emotionally.: damn. His biological mother was dead as far as he knew at this point, and now his adoptive mother had died, leaving him alone again at a kind of really young age, and their intense relationship, as it was described, would cause even more turmoil for David with its sudden and abrupt disappearance. He goes on to say he felt, quote, like she died because I weren't good enough. That's what he, At least in an interview, he says that that's what he Damn. felt like she died. And after, shortly after that, his dreams became nothing but nightmares every single night. Horrifying nightmares where he said he woke up terrified. His behavior from this moment on spiraled further, becoming more erratic, unpredictable, all while he slowly and continually withdrew from society further. His petty crimes escalated to include vandalism and violence, getting into fights for whatever reason he could try and figure out. And despite all this, and despite how David wants to be perceived as a total loner, even up to this point of his entire life, we actually have a glimpse from a different angle at this time. A rare glimpse. We learn that this actually isn't the case, despite what he says in interviews. In fact, David, during this time and later on, as he got older until about 17, he did have a sort of I don't want to call her a girlfriend because she didn't call herself a girlfriend, but they were more than friends. She was very much. ai don't I don't think she saw him, herself as as his girlfriend. He definitely saw her as his girlfriend, a girl by the name of Iris Gerhardt. Uh, and um, they never slept together, never kissed any of that. And yet David continually kind of saw her as his girlfriend, regardless of how she tried to reframe it. And it's through an interview that was done with her from a New York Times journalist that was written for a book uh, that was published in between the time he was caught, but before his trial that we actually learned David actually had a circle of friends. This guy went out. I think he wrote the book in like a month. And he went out looking for people that, he, that David knew personally, finally found uh, this, this girl, Iris, and was able to like have a long interview with her where we learn that despite David's, what would be his future attempts at making his life seem completely solitary and alone wasn't really true. And that wasn't really the case. You're getting the Rashomon version, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like he's building a pitiable, a more pitiable origin story for himself when despite that, like that wasn't maybe, yeah, to a degree up until he was 14, 15. But it's around then he seems to actually find a small circle of friends that he spends time with that he then enjoy his company. Um, <clears throat> it, it's through, again, specifically this interview from this book that was published at that time. Uh, in fact, as he grew older, by the time he turned 17, David went off to join the military in 1971 after completely dropping out of high school years earlier to pursue his love of being a dick, I can only presume. And before he went off to boot camp, his, thre- his friends threw him a going away party. They hung out and they hung and they like spent time together and ate and like, were you know, having a good time. Now, they did go on to say in further interviews that David was kind of always a bummer at any friend get together. He was always the guy who was just not. He's like a dark,
2: a dark man. Yes, very clearly. But, But let me ask you this. Do you think that he's plussing himself up for his own gain as like a vain person? Or do you think he's kind of giving you his like sort of twisted? Like I said, Rashomon version of events
0: i'm always uh especially with with serial killers more keen to believe they're doing it to give themselves a more pitiable or soft approach um there's no doubt that david wanted and and we'll learn this is that he wanted the the man wanted to belong wanted the attention he wanted to be seen as something that's sympathy you would gain sympathy from doing all of that
1: Mm -hmm. if you're like my childhood and my life and all this like the more you make people feel for you the more in your mind, it excuses everything you did or at least will convince them like, hey, he's not so bad. He just had a rough, you know, like that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and, and like these people, even after the party, they all got up with him early in the morning and went out to the port authority and drove out with them and said goodbye. And all this like good ass friends, like a good friend would do. Yeah, like yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like the man wasn't as alone as he pretends he was. He was, in fact, cared about by some people at the very least, despite what he'd have you believe in interviews. And while this is the time where Vietnam is raging, Berkowitz did avoid getting deployed there, but not because of anything he did to actively avoid it. And here we have another interesting foil in Berkowitz as an individual, where a lot of like these serial killers we talked about in the past are very cowardly overall or don't don't want to actually go see combat for the most part. For Those who are in the military. David actually had grand visions of what his life in the military might be like. Something we learn about David after doing so much of the research into this aspect of his life is that the man was just desperate, like I said, to belong to something, literally anything, anything to not be left behind, be ignored, feel alienated and alone to find something that gave him meaning Uh, And the military seemed to be exactly that for him. When he went off, he had grand dreams of being an excellent Jewish soldier and would be sort of like a Jewish hero. He saw himself as like a Jewish super soldier who would go off into Vietnam and die a heroic death doing something incredible that everyone would remember him for. Like that was his bizarre is- dream. Like that's where he wanted to go.
1: It's, it is. It's a bizarre. Although, I mean, uh, still, we're not we're not at like break it down for me, Jesse. That's what these are for. We're not at, yeah, we're like at, we're like at like a five on the uh, little too much scale. Even though he killed his mom's bird out of jealousy. Yeah, that's what bumped him into a five. Okay, catch gotcha, it. Gotcha. He's not okay. like completely there. Because like, again, young men have all sorts of weird, like I don't want to get too much into the minds of young men, but young men are like, I'm the soldier and I'm going to go. And then they like, oh no, you got me. Like they do all that stuff all the time. It sounds hardcore what Jesse's saying, but I feel him so hard. Yeah, like young men just are like that. So I'm waiting for the moment when it's like, okay, all those things plus
0: this. (laughs) Well, maybe we'll get there. We'll see. I don't know if if it's interesting. David Berkowitz, you know, you would think for me, or at least for me, I feel like the point where he was gone and lost is when his his adoptive mother died. But we're about to see another couple of points. That may be the point that he went off the deep end. Uh, I'm excited to talk about. Let's get through it first and then we'll revisit So when he went off and he had these grand dreams of being this amazing soldier, going off to Vietnam and dying a heroic death, he actually, when he got into the army, he tested well. He did well enough to get himself an administrative job. And instead of getting sent off to Vietnam, he got sent off to Korea and avoided all of the combat, much to his dismay, at least early on. And to drive the point home of him just being desperate to belong, he would, (laughs) this is he would break into local fire stations, not to rob them like he would rob his neighbor's homes, but to go put on firefighter uniforms and like kind of cosplay like he's an actual firefighter in a weird little like fantasy he lived. And occasionally he would wear them home and he would have to be told like, David, no, like, no, no, David, you can't do that. You got to that got to go back to the fire station. That's uh, a little. uh so how's nobody's eye on this
2: guy yeah (laughs) uh
0: you know how are so many of the killers of this time they just get they slip by and a lot of a lot of people are way more obvious yeah uh even even further to that point where he just wanted to belong to something even later in life he joined the auxiliary police force because he liked the uniforms
1: is that because the uniform? i mean it wasn't like a power thing
0: no it was very much the much like the firefighter thing i think it was about the fantasy of like being a hero.
1: Oh, so, and that goes along lines with the fantasy of being a hero in the army and, yeah. But
0: the uniform is part of it because that's all part of the dress-up. And like I said, when he went to the military, he tested well, got put as administrator, but even despite Berkowitz's want, uh, even despite that, Berkowitz still, like, pushed to be trained in shooting, and he, he got the training. And he wasn't half bad, getting 37 bullseye out of 100 targets, which, mm. you know, is less than half, but this puts him in what's known as sharpshooter range. I don't know what the fuck that means. I don't know if that just means you're better than like 25% bullseyeing. It's like a designation.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. You just got them eyes.
0: Yeah, he just doesn't have a sniper. Dis- like, he's not a sniper, but he's a good shot. And, uh, but still, he wasn't in Vietnam living that heroic soldier life. He was stuck in Korea, living a safe, boring life that he didn't want to be doing. And what do you do when you get really bored in a foreign country? Sex. Prostitutes. Hey, here you go. Perfect. And according to David, he filled his time. That
1: came to us so easy. We were just like, sucks. Definitely sucks.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, the problem is those he served with said David very rarely ever went out. And the, the time they, were, they did see him with a, uh, a woman, he never brought her back to the bunker home. And he never was like gone for a night. And we know for a fact that David was not having sex back in the U.S., Nor did it when he got home. In fact, I think David might actually be a virgin. Um, But if he's not, he would have lost it in Korea, according to David. Uh, However, that's not going to fill all the empty hours. What else are you going to do in the military when you're chilling and living large in Korea? Drink. Drink. Gamble. Yeah, drink. I don't think you're Uh. wrong. Do a fuck ton of acid and Starcraft. (laughs) No, not not around yet, Jesse. Not around yet. We're still it's still in the 60s. No, you, you just do a fuck ton of acid and smoke an, even e- an equal amount of weed. That sounds extremely risky to do in a foreign country. Probably. I would say. Uh, you know what? You're right, though. He did balance it with a heaping amount of cocaine mixed in. Oh, all right. You know That doesn't. Mm. Acid, weed, and cocaine, this dude was doing in. Just one s- crazy night or all the time? No, no. Constantly. Uh, what the, the hell? And the effect it had on him is kind of fascinating at first. He started to like anamorph into your typical, n- you know, like the books, anamorph.
2: I know, but what do you, what do you mean? He's,
0: like s- gradually transform? Yeah, yeah. Like That's gradually transform into your typical, like 1970s, free loving, anti violence, anti war hippie. And we know this from the letters he would write back to Iris. And soon after he started this exploration with acid, shall we call it, David was declaring himself a pacifist and would soon refuse to carry a weapon on him, regardless of the fact that he was in the fucking army. And he was trying to get, I think, discharged by doing this, but they wouldn't let him go because he was so close to finishing his tenure anyway. So do you think
2: he was legit or he was trying to get out?
0: I think it was legit. I think he fast-forwarded through acceptable 1970s hippie to the point where, like... The Manson family kind of did a little too much acid and broke their brains in the process, which we'll talk about one day. OK, um, because his letters right. shit. slowly, tonally changed as well within this, again, kind of just a couple year period. He left when he was 17. He returned when he was 19 um, and his letters. He was even calling initially in his letters. He was calling the military like war pigs, vehemently against all this shit, even signed one letter by crossing out his name. And replacing it with "quote unquote" the master of reality.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, so this guy's. Uh, what has his number gone up, Jesse? <laughs> now, for sure. For when you when you reach master of reality, it's a, it's like you're like at a six.
0: Yeah. Okay. I bet you doing LSD every day makes you feel like a master of reality. It's like some Dr. Strange shit right there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's what he was doing. He was fucking doing acid, smoking weed. And when he got tired, fucking snorting cocaine. That is, that is wild style. Yeah. He's destroying his brain very, very rapidly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And if that, if this is the point where he stopped though, like if he was like just a hippie, anti war, maybe a little too annoying to hang out with. We'd probably be doing an episode on something else entirely, but as what some people who end up discovering psychedelics and what opening the third eye feels like, this guy didn't want to stop, and he just kept doing more and more. And as I said, the letters home continued, and Iris began noting the tonal change to something a bit more dour. In one of the letters, he simply wrote, quote, I might turn out to be a lifetime freak. They taught me about many weapons. I will use these tactics to destroy, end quote. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, he was uh, slipping uh, rather quickly in his uh, extremist beliefs. How long was he out there? Two fucking years. <laughs>
1: Jesus That's a Christ. lot of time to get cuckoo. A lot,
0: yeah, it's a, a lot of time to get cuckoo, and uh, a lot of time to do, like, acid. I guess it's just really common out there for that time period. I don't know where he was getting the amount he was doing.
1: I mean, just in... Uh, a lot of soldiers had a... That's true. No. That's
0: true. MK Ultra was over at this point, but yeah. Uh, regardless, toward the end of his service, he'd go from Korea to eventually stationing and finishing out his service in Kentucky, where uh, he would be honor- honorably discharged afterward in 1974. And depending on the source, somewhere between Korea, some people say it was in Korea, and Kentucky, David Berkowitz had one more life-changing revelation that would uh, cement kind of his weird beliefs moving forward. He found Jesus. Whew. We found Jesus, everybody. He's, where he's the answer. To where did he
2: find him, bro? What was he on? Yeah, what was Jesus doing at the time?
0: I don't know what it was on at the time, but he very quickly became a dedicated evangelical, and through this, his beliefs once again started shifting rapidly. He was all about like all about that to the point where sexual purity was such an obsession. That he blamed the killings on. However, he also also what we'll talk about is he is this LSD likely triggered his schizophrenia as he was also hearing the devil speak through his neighbor's dog, telling him who to kill. We'll worry about that. Whoa. Next time. Yeah, it gets even more crazy with the shit he like was what's happening to him. And after he returned home, his unique mix of hard anti-war pacifism with extreme evangelical beliefs and sexual purity ensured that even those that did consider him their friend fell away. Hell, even his own father, who honestly didn't really like him, you know, to begin with, as we learned, couldn't stand to be around him anymore. hard to
2: rectify those two belief systems within the same person, too. Yeah,
0: it's very bizarre. I'm just trying to wrap my
2: mind around it, and I don't even really understand how he's
0: able to do so, but. Different time. Different time period. Okay. Uh, this is before the Southern strategy. Or is it during the... I can't remember.
1: What year was this? Uh,
0: 1974.
1: This would be... They're in the middle of it.
0: Okay, so... This is,
1: like, right before, you know, 80s Reagan. So This is right before... Like, this is all part of it. This is Nixon and...
0: You'd think you could point to him seeing combat, but the dude never saw combat. He never saw, like, that atrocious violence that so many are suffering through during this period in Vietnam. Like, so, I, yeah, I don't know where, like... His bizarre beliefs are—he's all we know—is became one of those insufferable people to just be around for anybody. I mean, most people, and and I know I read the
1: article on this recently, and I—it's shame that I cannot attribute it to anyone, but most people who experience combat don't go on like killing sprees. They are so messed up from seeing other people die. They, like, don't want to be the cause of that anymore. It's usually people who, if they're in the military, they saw no combat at all. And there's, like, something in them that they, like, need to get out. Like, that kind of This vibe. another,
0: like, really good bingo slot is, like, there's a, a few serial killers who say they were in combat but didn't see combat. But, like... Talk about how much combat they fucking seen. Like claims to just see combat is just weird. Yeah, those who actually see it usually aren't the ones going around boasting about Yeah,
1: most people who actually experience combat, like war, don't ever want to do that again. And so the it's usually people who, who like were ready to fight and had the dreams of like going off to go die, and then they just sat around and they're like, I missed out on my calling. And then like something yeah, that happens with a frequency.
0: And if this wasn't the point where you think maybe this is the point where David broke, there's still one last kind of twist in his emotional damage that is he's still about to suffer. Now, we learn at some point in his late teens, somewhere between him just leaving for the military and coming back, he actually learned that his biological mother was actually still alive Hmm. and he didn't make an attempt to go find her until after he returned ...from being in the military. The year he returned from the military, 1974... ...was the year that he decided he was was going to meet the woman he presumed dead... ...for the first half of his life at this point. And he would be able to do just that. It's important to note, however, that Berkowitz had a kind of fantastical image... ...of who his biological mother actually was. A almost like beautiful, almost princess-esque idea of who his biological mom was.
2: He was kind of fetishizing it a little bit, kind of a bit much yeah. like
0: uh who he believed didn't have the choice, mm-hmm. but to give up her only her one and only son that in meeting this woman, all his hatred, all his insecurity about where he came from feeling neglected and isolated from his community would finally be cured. And he'd have the happiest of happy relationship with his biological mother that he so truly felt he deserved. Like this woman that he created, didn't exist and probably just doesn't exist at all out there in any fashion. And when he finally met his biological mother at a local restaurant where they got lunch and she was an average, slightly older than middle-aged woman who was still a server who simply made a bad decision when she was a teenager, this moment in time seemed to be the thing that shattered Berkowitz. His life from here, nearly exactly one year before he uh, he started his killing spree, he met his biological mother. And even according to... That's such a weird, like, my mom was a totally normal
1: person. I'm shattered.
0: Like, what is... A- the thing we kind of see at the core of all this that is is kind of um, muted by the insanity or that surrounds it, The what we'll see is his psychosis and his hallucinations, speaking to the devil and stuff. It's a lot like Ed Kemper. It's a mother fixation. All he's ever been fixated on is you know, finding like a mom that loves him and wants him. Because to him, you know, he thought he killed his biological mother. Now after meeting his biological mother, that shifts into feeling like, oh, she just didn't want me. She no longer wanted me. So she threw me away like garbage. Right. And that feeling uh. of like, oh, she she didn't have a choice, that disappeared rapidly. And it's from here, like even David says in his interviews where like he feels like his mind just kind of fucking collapsed. Because it's all about the mommy, baby. It's all about those mother wounds that he couldn't fucking figure out, that he couldn't heal, that he couldn't navigate. And the overdoting of his do- adoptive mother mixed with the weird ignoring of his adoptive father and saying that he was a mistake. It was all being brewed. The problem is he got crushed in the head four fucking times and was too busy trying to set fires and burning bugs and stealing right. from his neighbors for anybody to realize like what the actual issues deep down really were. And who knows if he could even be saved at this point? Like, did the head trauma just fuck him completely? Like, who knows? It's, it's impossible to know. And yeah, from here, his life, like I said, exactly one year from this point on, his one-year killing spree would begin. And in 1975, David Berkowitz's life was crumbling. Not only was he freshly out of the army with no job, no girlfriend, no friends, no family, no real prospects for his future, he also had limited social supports. The revelations about his adoption had shattered his relationship with his remaining parent, and the alarming personality changes he'd undergone while serving in Korea, mostly because of all the fucking ass that he was doing, had driven away almost all of his friends. He tried to briefly enroll in Bronx Community College but left after his first year and he moved into uh, a Yonkers apartment where he would eventually meet his neighbor, Sam Carr, the man whose dog he would later claim was channeling demons and ordering him to carry out his murders.
2: Well, obviously <laughs> I kind of feel bad for the guy now.
0: He tr- David spent some time trying to work at various blue collar jobs, including a brief stint as a taxi driver before eventually landing a position as a letter sorter at the U S postal service. He was still working at the Postal Service a few months later when he carried out his first recognized son of Sam shooting, killing an 18-year-old by the name of Donna Luria and wounding her 19-year-old friend, Jody Valenti. But before we get to that, we need to rewind just a little bit before that, about six months prior. His neighbor, downstairs neighbor, not the one prior, uh, not the one that lived next to him that we just spoke of, Mr. Glassman, Craig Glassman was getting fucking insane letters from David Berkowitz for three straight months. It was nuts. In the most, some call it like in, in one of the most bizarre things that I've ever read about, What's like the way he wrote to him. Uh, Mr. Glassman lived in, in the same apartment building and had suspected that Berkowitz will, might be responsible for uh, four of the rambling, frequently obscene, and always threatening letters that he had been receiving since June of that year. The last letters came on August 6th, just just after someone had set a fire in front of Mr. Glassman's door. I want to also point out that during this time, David Berkowitz set something akin to about a thousand different fucking fires. All of them in front of heavily populated areas before always getting caught by somebody or him backing out at the last minute from letting it go too far. A thousand? According to David, a thousand. So many. Like just setting fires all the fucking time. So much so that the police started watching him specifically because of the fires that this guy was setting. That like Berkowitz was being followed because the man was just fucking a menace. Um, and and but but like he was uncommunicative to his neighbors other than these bizarre letters. In the letters to Mr. Glassman, the writer's weird world is one people with demers, Satan, and apocalyptic references to the streets running red with blood at the judgment were being sent. Mr. Glassman would say that it would emerge in these letters as a character that he uh, and he, I mean, David Berkowitz referred to as the master and he, David, the writer, the slave, but the paragraphs written in a nearly illegible scrawl on blue lined notebook paper. Mr. Glassman was at one point, quote, Craig Darling. At another point, a force that the letter writer, David, wrote, drove him into the night to do your bidding, claiming that he was the reason he was going out and starting fires and being violent, that huh. Craig was the reason. And he goes in the letter on, quote, this is part of the letter, quote, true, I am the killer, but Craig, the killings are your command. I shall see you standing naked at the judgment seat. Upon your condemnation, the world shall rise in jubilation. The terrible, wicked Craig is dead, they shall shout. End quote. Makes no fucking sense. genuinely makes just no sense remotely. It's just
2: like one of those people that's like got a, like a car that they like ride on all the time and just drive around. It's just like ravings.:
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's, it literally boils down to like insane ravings. Here's another one. <clears throat> "I am deeply hurt by your calling me a women hater. I am not, but I am a monster." And this is where he gives himself his nickname, "I am the son of Sam." And he puts that in quotes. I'm a little brat, also written in quotes. When Father Sam gets drunk, he gets mean. He beats his family. Sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house. Other times he locks me in the garage. Sam loves to drink blood. Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. Behind our house some rest. Mostly young, raped and slaughtered. Their blood drained, just bones now. Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic too. I can't get out, but I look. I look out the attic window and watch the world go by. I feel like an outsider. I am on a different wavelength than everybody else. Programmed to kill.
1: What the shit? Jesus Christ, dude.
0: Chilling. And he always signs his letters something bizarre. That one was signed, I am the monster, Beelzebub, the chubby behemoth. Ugh. I don't know why he calls himself the chubby behemoth. It's just what he calls himself. And one, he simply says... I say goodbye and good night. Police, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back to be interpreted as bang, 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 bang. Ugh, yours in murder, Mr. Monster. What? <laughs> like, let me get you a, a picture of this freaking letter so you know I'm like not kidding. This shit is like his letters were just nonsense. Um, and again, ref- these are little, these the ones I read are ones uh, during his crime spree. But his letters to um, to Mr. Glassman are like it's similar in tone, essentially. So it's a very good example. Here goes a picture of the fucking letter. Like <laughs> Even the UG part, you can see, I'm not kidding. It
2: looks like a cartoon. <laughs> Doesn't it? It really does. It looks like it's from a comic book or something.
0: It's very weird.
2: I mean, the man wrote UG U-G-H. Yeah, I know.
0: Like, it's just... So living in this apartment for the three months, his first letter arrived on June 7th, three, mo- only three months after he and his wife, Marguerite, who was a social worker, had moved into their studio apartment on the sixth floor just below him. The, uh, and he lived in uh, the just to give you an idea, his apartment cost two hundred and thirty dollars a month. OK. In New York.
1: I mean, like, I don't want to like, that's the most scandalous thing I've heard so far. So,
0: right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Then another letter arrived June 13th, and Mr. Glassman said he had not really worried until the previous Saturday when someone started the fire outside his door and dumped about 20, 22 caliber shells into the fire. And what that was, was David Berkowitz trying in his weirdest way to kill Mr. Glassman. He started the fire, hoping that it would get his attention. And when he threw the bullets in the fire, he had hoped that when Mr. Glassman came outside, the fire would set off the bullets and then the bullets would fly in random directions, hitting Mr. Glassman and potentially killing him. That was his grand plan. And he also then received two more letters. One addressed this to my master and signed your brother in white Plains, God help and keep the dead. The other opened simply with Craig and was signed with either the word Dimmelschmerzer or Himmelschmerz. We, it's hard to fucking figure out if it's a D or an H at the beginning. What? Yeah. yeah. Uh, The arson was reported to the Yonkers police who were investigating Mr. Berkowitz's possible connection to the other letters sent to area residents uh, and the April 27th shooting of a dog in the neighborhood. And at 8 p.m. on Wednesday, Mr. Glassman had went outside the building to check on the suspect's car, he said. And he saw a duffel bag with what appeared to be the butt of a rifle sticking out. Uh, And then about 10 men came up and asked me if I was David Berkowitz. And Mr. Glassman identified himself uh, as not. They that's when he realized Berkowitz at that point was being watched by fucking New York City detectives. Like they were all waiting for him to come outside. Um, so he was he was he, in that time in about six months time. He fucking spiraled out until he was ready to try and make his first attempt at killing. And it wouldn't be the sh- uh, the shooting I pr- previously mentioned. No, initially, David Berkowitz had an interest in trying to stab women to death. And it was women that were his target from the very, very beginning. So he was a woman hater. He was a woman hater. Yes. He was, yes, he is a woman hater, even though <laughs> he claimed he's not in his own letter. Uh, you know, I mean, he was don't, making don't up don't all sorts of stuff in, that, in
1: those letters. So, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah, true, true. He wanted to try stabbing because in the movies, it looked so simple. He could get nice, close, and personal, slide the dagger into their stomach, and they would just collapse dead like they always do in the movies. So when he uh, tried to attack two women in a car and stabbed one of them successfully, injuring her, but not killing her, and she didn't immediately die and she started fighting back, Berkowitz ran. Hmm. He just booked it. Uh left the like left the knife, gone. And both women lived, the victim injured. Uh, and that was Berkowitz's first attempt at trying to take a life to sate some bizarre inner desire to get back at whatever mother figure he was so desperate to get to at that point. It was after that failed stabbing that he decided a gun would be the thing that he would use. And with that gun, he took the first two victims. uh, As I mentioned earlier, while they were simply sat in a car, minding their own business. And that's where we'll pick up next week for the second and final part of the son of Sam story.
2: That is uh, that was an absolutely chilling tale that was like all too
0: believable in today's day and age. With some of the most cartoonish incidents that he had as a child I've ever read. Yeah, I can't believe the
2: head injury. I can't believe a pipe just fell on his fucking head. <laughs>
0: a pipe fell on his head. He just ran into a wall. It was just a rough time to be a kid, I guess, uh, in the 19 fucking sixties. Thank you guys so much for listening. And uh thank you boys so much for taking the step into tier one of true tier crime That's so of difficulty. Cr-
1: the S tier. <laughs> this is our S tier ranking of serial killers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look, um, I'm, I'm happy back time. next week with the second and final episode. We're off right now to head over to patreon.com slash Chilluminati Pod, where we'll be doing a mini sode as we always do. And head over to the Yeti.com slash Chilluminati because your collector's coins are, are there and waiting. What? Oh, they're pretty cool. Thank you guys so much. We love you. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Anyway, me and my wife were sitting outside, indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside. And after a few moments, I hear my wife go, "Holy shit! Get out of here!" So I quickly dash back outside. And she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky.